Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show, guys, girls. Today is episode number 53. It's the third week of August 2020 and 2020, man. Um, it has been gremlin after gremlin after alien after volcano after murder hornet after the Rona after my boss scheduling meetings. Um, it has been one thing after another all year long. We're dealing with it and it just simply is what it is, folks. We are all simply dealing with the inconveniences of this year that it's thrown at us both big and small and so that happened last week i appreciate you guys hanging in there with me for this uh like we've just pretty much been doing all year long uh just dealing with things that come up uh last minute or aggressively whatever but uh that's how we're going to do it and we're going to get back at it to you in a big way this week um and before we do that some of you have got it figured out some of you have gotten yourself a Fast Brackets Nation t-shirt. You realized it is the easiest way to make yourself look better um, and put a positive spin on 2020. Um, we all need all the help we can get with that. Some of you have done a nice job with that, and you've probably gone on to be better at almost everything else you do simply because you look better, you feel better, and you perform better. That's just how it works. And truthfully, I only sell the Fast Bracket Nation t-shirts because someone has to pay for producer Rob's lap dances and the Fed is printing money like a drunken sailor and inflation is on its way. So we got to handle that nonsense. But uh, I digress a little bit. So some of you have handled that. You figured it out. But some of you, and these are the people that I need to speak with right now, you have just have not gotten this thing right. Um, and it's a very small percentage of you out there in the nation, but I'm going to speak directly to this small percentage right now. No, I will not be selling any Fast Bracket Nation fanny packs. No, I will not be selling any Fast Bracket Nation wife beaters or do-rags. And no, I will not ever be selling any fast bracket nation face mask it's ridiculous we are out in the open at a racetrack there is literally no need for them so stop asking i am not printing any of that nonsense it is just simply ridiculous all right um i'm happy to say that uh we've got a great episode coming up for you today we've got a couple of great guests first of all benjamin board he's a standout top sportsman racer out of division three land and then miles Coolmeister, the owner and founder of ultimate awning is going to come on with us today so i can't do it i can't wait to get to it let's go do it right now get to do whatever it is that you do while you're listening to the show make your commute clean your shop work on the old heap but metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put this thing in the water box. And guys, girls, we've talked enough about all the craziness of this year, of what 2020 has thrown at us, and what all of us have had to deal with. So you might think that we should put a stop to any additional craziness in any form because, quite frankly, we've had enough. So much so that 2020 is almost a curse word right now. Uh, you can use that as a curse word, by the way. Just if you stub your toe, run into a trailer hitch, and just scream out 2020, people will get it. They'll understand that's a curse word. Um, but I'm here to tell you right now all my fellow Fast Bracket Nationers, that what we really should be focusing on and what we really should be doing right now is getting crazier, if at all possible. Now, hear me out. Here's what I mean. Uh, this is the perfect year to try out whatever event, whatever format, or whatever wild hair idea you have 
in terms of being a promoter, of being a track operator or a series operator. This is the year. Do you want to try running top sportsman to a thousand foot instead of 1320? This is the year. Do you want to try to take your 16 car field to a 32 car field like the Midwest drag racing series did make your change that way? Or if you want to have a 32 car field normally, and you want to make it a 16 car field, this is your year. Do you want to run a one day event with one qualifying pass? This is your year. Do you really want to go out on a limb and do something that I think potentially could be something that catches on and stay with me now, maybe like a 24 car field where the first eight qualifiers get a buy run first round and the other 16 are running first round to get to that second round of 16. Guess what? This is your year. Um, You can try whatever harebrained idea that you think potentially could help the sport, help you get more cars to the track, or could just get your series a little bit of a boost or notoriety. This is the year. People are so used to being crazy and having to deal with change to their schedule, to their routine, to whatever it is. We'll just roll with it right now. It's great. So as a promoter or series director, when things are quote unquote good, it is hard to make that change. It it realistically is. But when down is up, when white is black, when the government can't find its butt with both hands, now is the time to try to try it and just check it out and see if it gets you where you want to go. Guys and girls want to race, will, um, and then you'll get some feedback on exactly how it could work better next time. So I'm curious what you find people would like to try or think potentially could be a good idea for a series or a track. So let me know, hit me up. And if it isn't the worst thing I've ever heard, then we'll talk about it at some point. All right, let's put this thing in the beams presented by this is bracket racing.com on with us now from Peoria, Illinois, you might remember last week's guest, Kelly Harper, was from Peoria, Arizona. So uh, we got a little Peoria theme going on here for whatever reason. He's a standout in top sportsman in the NHRA Division Three area, and he's got the world's fastest small block, small block centrifugal supercharged door car to the eighth mile. Welcome to the show, Benjamin Board. Benjamin, how you doing today, man? Doing good. How are you doing, Rex? Good afternoon. I cannot complain, brother. Nobody cares when I do. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hey, you've you've uh, been I've I've been really excited to have you on because um, you you've done some really interesting things in the world of uh, superchargers and kind of been uh, somewhat ahead of the curve with some of the stuff you've done. So I've been excited to have you on here, but. Let's go. Let's go way, way back, and before you got the records and things like that, tell us about how you got started in racing and drag racing in particular. Well, the crazy thing is, my family is all basically out of the racing world. My grandma and grandpa both used to race stock cars. My dad has raced something pretty much my whole life. Hold um, on, hold on. I can't. I can't let you go past that. Did you say your grandmother raced stock cars? Yes, sir. She did. That is fantastic. All right. Yeah. Yeah, we got some pictures somewhere of her uh, in her stock car racing around the Peoria area, so it was pretty cool. That is fantastic. Yeah. She definitely, uh, she was a firecracker, I tell you. She, uh, I think she put the fear of anybody she had to race against. <laughs> you know, it it's in your blood then is what you're telling me. Yes, exactly. I From the day I was born, I was uh, around motorcycle racing and basically all kinds of racing. Um, I've got an uncle that drag races. Actually, I've got a couple uncles that, uh, drag race, a cousin that drag races. I guess you'd say it was just something I was born into and it was inevitable. Yep. That, that makes perfect sense. So when was the first time you got behind the wheel yourself? Well, behind a car, I would have been 18 the first time I went down to the drag strip. Um, but from the time I was little, I did some grass drags with snowmobiles and, uh, just raced little things like uh, BMX bikes and stuff. So I haven't been racing most of my life. But as far as behind a car, my very first car, 
um, was a 1984 S10. My dad and I built it together, a.k.a. my dad did most of the building, and I helped a little bit. But uh, sure. we put a Corvette 350 in it, and that was my very first car. We actually um, – I drove it to school for a while, and it was really bad on fuel, so obviously. <laughs> so right. We ended, up, we ended up parking it. By the time I got to 18 um, – we had an opportunity to take it to a, a local track, Central Illinois Dragway, and we made a couple of passes with no tree or anything like that just so I could get used to it. And I guess you could say I was hooked from that day forward. And it doesn't take much, does it? Like once no. you let it rip one time, it, that's all it takes. Exactly. Yeah, that adrenaline, once you get it in you, it's just something you just can't get out of you. Yeah, no, no, there's no doubt about that. So you obviously progressed fairly quickly. Um, talk to us about the first real uh, drag car that you, you had and sat behind and really competed with. Well, that, that 84 S10, we more or less, uh, after we went and got hooked, we realized, you know, the stock S10 rear end and uh, lease springs and stuff weren't going to do. So we sent the truck off to Gebhardt's Pro Cars. Sure. They did a back half, back half for us. And, and they, then we ended up, uh, we were running around 990s at that point. And it was pretty consistent. We were doing really well. It still had roll-up windows, functioning lights, uh, door panels, interior. Everything was pretty much stock with the roll cage in there. And then uh, we got greedy and wanted to go faster, so we ended up sending it back to Gebhardt's Pro Cars to have the front half done. So it was a complete tube chassis from that uh, point forward. Um, but, yeah, that was my first car. And I'll tell you, a long time ago, we used to go to Coles County. I went to Eastern Illinois University, and we would go to Coles County. And I'm not lying. We'd get in the – if I'd pick a left lane, I'd have 20 cars line up behind me and nobody parking next to me in the right lane to race me. <laughs> Yeah, because, uh, yeah, that, it's a small track like that, and Coles is great, but, uh, I mean, people know, right? They just they know pretty uh, quickly they, your car gets picked out, and it's hard to, you know, why set yourself up for the guillotine, right? Exactly, and for me, I would say is usually I was pretty good on the light, so whenever I went up to the uh, to the tree, I was usually in the O's, and I guess if I, as I've gotten older, it hasn't been quite as consistent, but definitely was doing pretty good when I was younger. Yeah, that won't be the only thing that slows down for you, brother. But, uh, but uh, yeah, like enjoy it while you can, right? Um, yes, exactly. So then, uh, you know, you you moved on to the when when exactly did you move into the top sportsman in the world, and and what uh, you know what was the draw to top sportsman as opposed to just uh, continuing at Coles County and running there pro and super pro program there well i actually had a cousin that had a top sportsman car and i kind of got addicted from seeing what his uh what his ambitions were with his car and then we started going to the track and seeing some the top sportsman cars and actually back when we went it was top comp they didn't okay. even have top sportsman yet sure so we we would go and watch the top comp cars and uh, obviously they were dragsters and door cars at that point, but I guess I just got addicted to wanting to go fast. So we, uh, yeah, I guess that was the next evolution from Super Pro. Gotcha. Um, and so you're you're driving the GTO now, but uh, what were you driving before then? You was that um, was that that same truck? Well, I had that same truck and, and raced it until uh, I would say 2005. And uh, I ended up winning a quick 16 at Earlville with it. And, uh, you know, that was my very very first Wally. It was one of the run for the Wallys that they had there. And unfortunately, we we parked it after that because I had just purchased a Pro Stock truck. Okay. And uh, so we started building and working on the Pro Stock truck. And unfortunately, I should have kept racing that truck as well because that thing was pretty deadly. (laughs) Yeah, uh, hindsight, right, is always uh, twenty twenty. Um, and that when you bought that Pro Stock truck, though, is that is that when you started um, getting involved with Pro Charger and and your EFI stuff? Is that is that when you got real serious about that? When we bought the truck, we actually had a small block for it still, and uh, well, we put a small block in it. I should say we ended up putting a Pro Charger on that with mechanical fuel injection. We had an Enderly Bug Hat that we actually. Oh. Um, we actually were doing a blow through. So I guess we were kind of doing blow through before like the blow through carburetors were really a thing. Sure. And, uh, we were actually, uh, 
using one of their, it was like a one, let me think back then, I think we were using a one, 123 supercharger, that's what it was, Okay. and uh, blowing it through an Enderly bug hat. So I guess I had one of those epiphanies in the middle of the night, and I was trying to figure out how we were going to get the Pro Charger to feed into the mechanical injection that we had been running forever because we were mechanical injection with the with the small truck that I had too, the old S10. Okay. So uh, I ended up kind of coming up with an idea with the mud bogs, you know, the mud trucks. They've got those uh, K&N filters on the front of them. Sure. So uh, I'm an engineer. So I started coming up with a way to actually bolt that to the front, seal it, and then blow into that so we could get the air into the into the hat and keep it pressurized. So we, we actually perfected that and got that going pretty quick, but then we were struggling with getting the fuel right. And it took about a year for us to get the fuel curves to where we weren't hurting stuff. Yeah, I can imagine. But you you did figure it out, and you figured it out in a pretty good way um, because you you went on to get, uh, like, the 8th the mile world record with uh, that small block and that supercharged combo. Was that in the truck, or was that in um, the next car you had that that Camaro that, that was in the that was in the Camaro okay yeah that the record was set in the Camaro and the Pro Mod and that was Ricky Smith's old 2012 the very first uh newer body style that uh Jerry Bickle had built for him gotcha okay yeah that was that was where you set the record um and so you had that for a couple of years and um but you don't have that car anymore is that right I don't I sold it to a friend of mine out in Arizona okay just um, you were uh, ready for a change, or what was the impetus for changing up? Well, a couple of years ago, we decided we wanted to go pro mod racing. So I bought a, a Brad Anderson uh, Hemi, put it in there with the Pro Charger behind it, or pushing it. And uh, we got that figured out with the help of ComSync with Ryan Mickey on the fuel system, getting it tuned. And unfortunately, we got to the point where it was just way too fast for top sportsmen we went to uh um one of the races unfortunately we were obviously not supposed to go faster than 6.0 two years ago if you did then you got a warning the next next time you did it you got thrown out that's right so uh we went to it was a double header we went to uh the first race it ran a 597 i detuned it pulled another eight degrees of timing out of it and it ended up going to 596 so we got thrown out of the race and um <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm on the top sportsman side and the first one to officially get thrown out. I know top dragster, it's happened quite a few times with people, but I think top sportsman, I was the first one to get thrown out. I know people have gotten warnings, especially especially Lester Johnson. He's got a yeah. warning or two. Sure. But uh, anyway, we realized we couldn't quite go pro mod racing because the, uh, the expense was too great. And in, uh, I guess it was eight, 17, I think I was, I hit the wall in Tulsa in a pro mod race. And uh, that was an expense I, I just didn't have in the budget. You know, I, I budget out my racing for the year and plan on trying to uh, come close to that. And unfortunately, that year, that was a big chunk out of a year or two worth of budget. So instead of being able to buy an extra backup engine and, and the parts I needed to go run Pro Mod, I, I ended up having to get the car repaired. So after that, it was just a decision on if we what we needed to do. Cause I know I needed to slow the car down. And when you slow something down that wants to go really fast, it's not as pleasurable to drive. It's a lot more to handle. Yeah. Especially, especially something like a, a pro mod car. Um, if they're built to go five eighty five nineties and you're trying to run six twenty six thirty with it, they get a little upset. <laughs> they, right. they didn't build it to go slow. Just the same when Brad Anderson builds you an engine, he he wants you to turn it nine ten thousand RPM, and if you're trying to turn eighty five hundred, it gets upset. So you got to run the stuff where it wants to be run. So anyway, budget wasn't quite there, and we figured it was best to just try to take a step back. And I had a good opportunity where a buddy wanted to buy the car, and um, literally he bought it right after I got kicked out of uh, Great Bend, and uh, <laughs> we ended up uh, loading in his trailer and came home without a car. So we were going to take a little bit of a break and. Uh, was talking with Cody Barkledge and he said, Hey man, I got my old GTO sitting around. So I guess I'm leading into the next segment there. Yeah. Um, so tell us about that GTO. Yeah. Tell us all. About yeah. That. So the GTO Cody, um, the Barkledge racing family used to race it back. It was built in 2004. They raced it in 
2005 in NHRA Pro Mod. And actually, it was the first car to go 6-0. And they, if they would have had a little bit better conditions, they would have been the first ones in the fives because there was another gentleman at another track that was at like 100 foot of ele- elevation where Cody was trying to run at 4,000 feet. That guy went 4- 599, and Cody was able to go 6-0. Oh. But um, anyway, the car the car's been really good and really consistent. Um, but they got to the point where they ended up parking it to – to uh, start working on the race shop and building race cars. So it's been sitting for, I think, since 2008 until last year when I ended up buying it. So we more or less revived it, brought it home, and uh, got it up and running, put the small block in it with a pro charger, and just spending most of the last year figuring it out. We were really ready to get at it this year. And then, uh, obviously, COVID hit. And when it did, we were actually ready. We actually had uh, had the engine built and in and ready to go to the first race, which was going to be Phoenix. And then once everything got canceled, the program just kind of got parked. So Man. Yeah, you and everybody else on the planet, right? It just was uh, exactly. been a rough year. So, so you've got this small block with a pro charger, and are you still running the, the Enderly and the uh, mechanical fuel injection or what What do you do um, fuel injection wise now? No, we actually ended up switching over to electronic fuel injection back with the Camaro and even uh, late with the truck, but with the, uh, with the pro stock truck, but we uh, more or less just have a AccuFab uh, throttle body that we're, we're blowing the pro charger into. Okay. So yeah, it's all electronic EFI with ComSync on it. And, um, that, uh, so that GTO then what transmission and rear end do you have in it? We've got, uh, Bruno Lenko behind it. So, uh, we've been running Bruno Lenko for a long time. Had, we have a really good relationship with both of them. Um, so we just, with the good support, we just haven't, haven't switched. We haven't had a need to, they've been able to take any power we wanted to throw at it. Even when we had the Hemi, it would, you know, they never had any issues with either one of those components. And then we've got a strange rear end in it. Um, we've so, been running strange, strange components for a long time. Now, is that the Bruno Drive, or are you actually pulling gears in it? Uh, it's actually all bare pod, so it it does it. Unfortunately, I'm one of the uh, Tim McCamus is uh, guys he makes fun of, where the car pretty much does everything <laughs> for you. Well, no, there are very few people that are there. Very. <laughs> Yeah, there are very few people that are outside of Tim's path, you know, when he when he starts going down that road. So, you know, like that that's quite all right. Um, pretty hysterical when well, he does it too. Plus, he's he's really gearing that comment towards like the pro mods and then top sportsmen. I'll tell you, we got some amazing racers that we're competing against, and those guys are deadly consistent. So you got to do everything you can to run consistent. And if you're missing shifts or anything like that, you have no chance. So you got to do everything you can to be competitive. That's exactly right, and. uh you know, I think I think there is some thought that you know if we if we eliminated some of that stuff, it would put the driver be- more in control. But with what we do, when the rules allow it, y- you're kind of silly not to take advantage, in my opinion. Yes, exactly. Um, well, that so you've got that. Um, thanks for telling us a little bit about your car and and but tell us a little bit about who hell helps you because I know um, you know this is a. a for you, you've got a lot of supporters and and help when you go to the racetrack. Tell us all about that. Yeah, definitely. My uh, first first and foremost, my dad. If he's he actually contributes a hundred and twenty five percent into this program. He does so much to get the car ready, and uh, you know, I I every race I've ever been to in my life, except for one, he's been there with uh, with me, supporting me crew chief and on it so like i said without my dad i probably wouldn't have got i definitely wouldn't have gotten racing and i don't know how long i would have stayed in racing just and i don't get me wrong i love racing but with that kind of support you know it just makes you want to keep on going um i've got one of my good buddies jeff beckman he comes he'll fly to any race that we need help at anywhere he knows that we're uh we're going to be down on support he'll he'll get himself there somehow and help us out so he's always been just there to help uh support but also he keeps our our team sane (laughs) so when we have a 
when me and my dad, for example, have a uh, differing of opinions, he's the one who is the mediator to make sure that we're uh, we're staying in line and communicating well with each other and making good decisions. Let's say that's huge. <laughs> that is so huge, man. Uh, we all should be it so is. lucky that we had a mediator like that. Yeah, I tell you, every team. I think a lot of people, if they would have one, they would be a lot more successful. Yeah. And you know, because sometimes you just got to have that person that is going to sit there and say, "Okay, everybody, take a breath and let's figure out what we need to do." Right. And when you do that, you can go so much further in this world. Man, that is so true. Um, that that's good. So uh, you got you got uh, pops. You got uh, the mediator. Anybody else that is yeah. Uh, yeah. instrumental? Yeah, definitely. I've got a lot of lot of sponsors that help us out. If you want me to, if you don't mind yeah, me going through some absolutely. of those. So high performance lubricants, they basically are all the lubricants in our vehicle, um, rear end fluid, transmission fluid, uh, engine. I mean, they, they provide all the fluids that we run through our, through our vehicle and even in our tow vehicles. Uh, so we've, we've had a great relationship with them ever since they've, uh, joined the team. Another one that I picked up last year, um, I I get dehydrated pretty easily, as most of us do out on the track, and I was struggling trying to find a, a way to keep myself hydrated. So I ended up hooking up with Defiance Fuel. They've got some amazing, and I know everybody just says, oh, it's just water, but they actually have a ultra-purified mag- magnetically um, and UV-structured water. So it actually helps you absorb your water and aid with um, not only high dehydration, but also with when you're at the gym and working out, which I go to the gym way too much. Probably I go when I'm at the races, everybody sees me taking off to go, <laughs> go work out. Cause they probably think I'm somewhat of a freak, but I try to keep myself in, in good shape. Yeah. Um, we got ComSync. I can't say enough about them with Ryan Mickey's help and mixed performance. He he's helped us get up and running where we've, where we struggled in the past with him. He more or less can get us going within a weekend, and that kind of support's hard to find. Um, this year, we ended we hooked up with 1320 Marketing Group and Bishop's Performance. Uh, 1320 Marketing helped us design some amazing jerseys, which I hope to get to show a little bit more here in the next couple of weeks. Um, but more uh, more or less, I gave them my sponsor logos I wanted and told them how I kind of was thinking and they came up with an amazing design so i'm super excited about those jerseys um simpson racing i'm outfitted in pretty much mostly simpson products they've been with us for a long time vp fuels um their m1 i've been running forever and the the team there at vp you just can't say enough about them uh mickey thompson i'll tell you if it uh if it has mickey's on it, it'll go down a gravel driveway <laughs> so <laughs> we've had had really good luck ever since we switched over to Mickey's. Um, we run multi-fire high-performance spark plug wires on the car. Have been running those for a long time from a good buddy of ours, Tommy Scott. Um, obviously, Pro Charger, they've been behind us since 2006. We've had a long relationship with them. And obviously, without them, I'd be making about half the horsepower we're making now. So. Yeah, that's uh... – no, that's awesome. That's uh, awesome. Anybody else that is uh, instrumental in your program? Yeah, um, Bruno. Uh, we I can't say enough about Bruno's Automotive. We've we've had a great relationship with Bruno Senior and Bruno Junior. Anytime we have an issue, we can call them on the weekend, evening, whatever, and they get us get us taken care of. Um, Weldon High Performance. Jim Craig there does an amazing job whenever we've got questions. Obviously, our engine. Components come from M&M competition engines, so we, we have a we get some great help with when we want to try to find the next next step of evolution with them. And uh, Mazir can't say enough about them, and Jessel Valve Train also. They they've all been very supportive of us. I'm sure there's quite a few others, but I'm probably forgetting. But we'll go ahead and move on. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well. You mentioned that you're an engineer, so I'm. I need to ask you this because I'm. I'm really curious on your thoughts. But what's what's one thing that you think would improve our sport, or what you'd like to change to improve our sport? From an engineering aspect, after Ronnie Davis's incident, I really was starting to work towards a invention that would automatically deploy the chutes. Cause everybody was trying to think, Oh, put roof flaps and all this other stuff in there. But, um, I came up with a pretty good idea 
it's just I I didn't push it any further because ran out of time. I was too busy with other things, but I, I just I I think NHRA does an amazing job with a lot of our safety. And uh, when it comes to roll cages and stuff, I mean, even after my wreck, I, you know, I tore the car up pretty decently and I was in great shape and the car was really in pretty good shape considering. So I can't say enough about what we already got, but I definitely think there's room for more evolution in some of our safety. Um, I know a lot of people don't like electronics and want to stay away from it, especially like, like what I was talking about. If, if you, hit a side acceleration of too much that usually means you've lost control of the vehicle so at that point i think it would be good where the parachutes automatically deploy yeah um but that takes some of it out of a driver's hand so a lot of us drivers we think we have it in control even though our our crew standing back there saying they saw the whole side of the car and we're like no we had it we right. have we could have saved right. it right. Well, at that point it might actually deploy the chutes you lose the race and then you're mad at the electronic device so anyway there was that's that's one thing I would like to see is just a little more little more safety to try to keep us from overdriving. We all do. I, I know a lot of guys say they don't, but unfortunately with racing, it's not. I hate to say this, it's not if you wreck, it's when. Especially when you're pushing, when you're pushing the boundaries, it's it's inevitable. We get comfortable, and when you get comfortable, I mean, I've been out of the groove a thousand times and brought it back in. And that one time where I thought I had it next day, I know I hit the wall. It's one of those, one of those things, you know, I thought I had it, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, well, you're, uh, you're preaching to the choir with me, brother, because, uh, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, the chassis costs are minimal compared to all the other costs of our sport. So, right. um, I, I think that's, um, good stuff and you know like you said NHRA does a good job of staying on top of that but there's there's always something else we can be looking at and I really appreciate that uh, that insight from you yeah definitely Benjamin I appreciate you coming on brother um, thank you so much for joining us today um, good luck um, with the rest of the season what's next for you when do you uh, where where's next on your schedule we're trying to hit uh, Beach Bend next weekend, and then I'm super stoked about this, the U.S. Nationals after that. Oh, okay. That's, Fantastic. That's one. Of, that's been one of my goals for a long time and just haven't had enough grade points, but this year I got in, so that we're really stoked to be at the U.S. Nationals this year. I love it. Yep. All right. Well, go get them in Bowling Green, and then I'll see you in Indy in a couple weeks. But, uh, Benjamin, thanks for coming on. Guys, girls, that was Benjamin Board. Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. You know Ed Harney and his years of experience will be there for you if you need him. Do not forget about Drag Race Lawyer if you have legal issues. I was really disappointed uh, not to be able to be with you guys last week because we had a lot of drag racing action to cover um, so we're going to get to that right now. First of all, the NHRA had their Division Three event in Indy that combined with the national event um, in August 7th through 9th. There was also a Division Six event in Boise, Idaho last weekend. Uh, there was the Midwest Drag Racing Series event in St. Louis. And then also we're going to talk a little bit about the OSCA event August 8th at Xenia, Ohio at Killcare Drag Racing. Uh, so there were a lot of events. Uh, we're going to get caught up on that right now because there was just some absolutely great racing that we can't afford to miss right there. So first of all, let's start in Indy. Let's start very close to the home offices of the worldwide headquarters of Simmermaker Motorsports and go to Lucas Oil Raceway there. They had a top dragster event that got 20 cars. Now, that was not a deep field, but it was fast. There were 17 of the 20 cars there were qualified at 630 or better. So that is a very fast field when you're talking about um, not having a bump spot. Nobody backed down. Everybody got on it and had 17 of the 20 cars um, in the 620 or better range. So Really an impressive field there. And your number one qualifier was David Nation. He's from Mound City, Kansas. He goes 6'10 with a 4 at 224 miles an hour. 
to claim the top spot, but your champion was Aaron Stanfield. He wins over Al Peevler in the final. Aaron was nails, man. He's 004, 17 total in the final, mathematically eliminating Al Peevler. Um, and that gives Aaron his 10th Wally Parks trophy. So congrats to Aaron Stanfield on a well-earned victory in Indy. On the top sportsman side, there were 23 cars, so a little better field. Um, your number one qualifier was Jimmy Fallon from Trenton, Ohio, in his 68 Camaro. He goes 628 with a 7 at 223 miles an hour for the top spot. But in the final, it's a familiar name, Lester Johnson over Billy Tolman. There was a double red final. Lester goes red uh, last, so he gets the win there. He's always tough, and he's got that twin-turbo combo figured out now. So look out if you you already knew you had to deal with the tough customer in Lester, but now he's got those twin-turbos, it's, uh, man, it's uh, even nastier for the rest of the field. That's just how he's going to operate going forward. So let's go out to Division Six in Boise, Idaho. Um, the top dragster field there had 34 cars. That's a 48-car field typically. But your number one qualifier was Dan Lafferty from Wendell, Idaho. He goes 618 with a 2 at 226 miles an hour. Uh, but Doug Johnson gets the win. He's from Pleasant Grove, Utah over Dan Lafferty. And Doug gets the win out there in Boise to win the top dragster uh, Wally out there. So on top sportsman, there were 23 cars. Joe Rubicek from Cam- Camarillo, California, in his 68 Camaro. That is uh, pretty apropos, I would say. He goes 677 at 204 to claim the top spot. But the winner was Darren Shank from Kenwick, Washington, in his 2010 Cobalt over Ed Olpen. The Undertaker had problems down track and gives Darren Shank the win. So congrats to Joe Rubicek for getting the top spot and Darren Shank for winning in top sportsman in Boise. Now we go to St. Louis and the Midwest Drag Racing Series. They ran last weekend. There were 27 cars in top dragster for their 32-car field. Your number one qualifier was Anita Strasburg from Mapleton, Utah. So she comes from Utah to St. Louis to get the top spot there. She goes 379.9 at 193 miles per hour. But your winner was Tim Papp, local guy from Charleston, Illinois, over Matt Sackman. Not to be confused with Zach Sackman, who we had on the show a couple weeks ago. His brother takes driving duties and gets it done there. It at least gets to the final. Tim Papp gets your win in top dragster in the Midwest Drag Racing Series. On the top sportsman side, there were 20 cars. Remember, that's a 32-car field. If you go faster than 499, you can qualify for that. Typically, your number one qualifier was Bob Galitti from Tomball, Texas. He takes his 67 Shelby, 394 at 183 miles an hour for the number one qualifier. But your winner is Martin Blair over our guy Mark McDonald in the final. Martin Blair gets the win and at this point takes the top spot in the Midwest Drag Racing Series top sportsman points lead. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in the next couple weeks. Get you caught up on all the point series and where people shake out. But uh, Martin Blair gets the win and now is sitting in the top spot in in that category, the top sportsman category for the Midwest Drag Race Series. And then finally, let's talk a little bit about the OSCA. You heard Brent Harver come on here on episode number 45. They added top sportsman and top dragster this year to that series that Brent does such a great job with. They had 16 car fields. They run an eighth mile series there. They were at Killcare Raceway in Xenia, Ohio this week. And they got 20 cars to show up for their top dragster field. The bump spot was a 426, so they had a really nice field. Preston Tanner takes the number one spot and goes 380 at 187 miles an hour. So they had a really nice field. Uh, 380 is the number one qualifier. 426 is your bump spot. And Chris Carrico gets the win in the final. He is 008, dead seven on his 397 dial for the win. 
So congrats to all those top dragster competitors uh, in the OSCA and especially Chris Carrico for getting that win out there. On the top sportsman side, there were 23 cars trying to get in that 16-car field. Um, the bump spot was a 456. Your number one qualifier was Jeff Melnick. Uh, he goes a 414 at 176 miles an hour. You may remember Jeff. He came on the live show that we did at PRI. Uh, his exotic fabrications car was is really flying right now. He's got that thing um, really dialed in. He goes 414 for the number one qualifier. But your winner is Steve Taylor. He goes 004 dead six. He's a 10-pack for the win, and that just makes it almost impossible in the other lane at 150 miles an hour. So congrats to Steve Taylor for getting that win in the Top Sportsman OSCA event. All right, next week we will go to Division One, where Epping, New Hampshire has a double. Um, they include the JEG Sports Nationals with that, so we'll talk all about that. Uh, that happened over this weekend next week on the Mid-Track Report. Whoa, let's get out of the groove for just a minute and talk Top Fuel Racing. We've got some sad news, actually, out of Top Fuel Racing Camp uh, last week. Dom Lagana, he's a Top Fuel driver and Steve Torrance crew member, was seriously injured in a wreck off the track Shortly after the Dodge Indy Nationals last Sunday evening, uh, Richie Crampton and Jake Sanders were also in the car. And they sustained non-life-threatening injuries, but uh, Dom was not as lucky. Um, he's had some real serious injuries and, and is battling right now as we speak. Um, they were have said to have been traveling in the 57 Chevy Nomad that Crampton debuted in Drag Week. Um uh, a couple of years ago and uh, hit a utility pole with that thing. I've actually been uh, by the site because I just drive that way. It is, um, it's uh, ugly. It's sickening. It's uh, just in sad more than anything. Um, we're all a big family here, guys and girls. And uh, Gary Pritchett has started a GoFundMe page for Dom's medical bills, which I am sure will be steep. Uh, please donate if you can, but more importantly, if you're a believer, pray for his recovery. All of the drag racing family is, uh, is praying for him, and, and best of which is to Don Lagana and his family. As we hit the mile-per-hour cone today, on with us now is from – he's from Minneapolis, Minnesota. He is the founder of Ultimate Awning, and he's probably – a guy with the greatest name we've ever had on the show. Welcome to the show right now, Miles Kuhlmeister, founder of Ultimate Awning. How are you, Miles? I'm good today. How are you today, Rex? I'm fantastic. Um, I I got to ask, like, did you name yourself or, um, I mean, Miles Kuhlmeister is the greatest name I've ever heard. I, I'm very fortunate that I was born with the name that I have. I had nothing to do with it. Uh, my father came from Estonia, so it's an Estonian last name, and just the luck of the draw. That is fantastic. That is really fantastic stuff. Um, and thanks for coming on with us today, because we, you know, a lot of times we'll get on the show guys or girls that have made innovations to uh, the racing endeavor in terms of hey, we we uh, build a chassis a different way so it's a little safer, or a little quicker, or certainly engine builders. But you've made an innovation that is a part of drag racing but um, isn't necessarily on the track, but it's something that we all use, which is our awnings for our trailers. So so I was really curious, and I'm, I appreciate you coming on with us today. But uh, before we get to all that, tell us tell us what your, you know, what's your connection to drag racing? How did, how did you get into drag racing? Uh, you know, ever since I was a kid and got my license and my first car, I, I've always loved cars and racing. I did some local uh, uh, enduro racing here in the Minneapolis area. My claim to fame in racing is I won the 1985 Labor Day Enduro 250 race at Raceway Park. Okay. And I paid $1,000 back then, which was, I'd, I'd love to win $1,000 now racing. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so I did that for a while, and then I had visions of going into stock car racing and that subsided quickly and ended up finally building a bracket car 25 some years ago. And it was a big block Camaro, an 88 Camaro. It was 
just a pump gas motor, but it ran high sevens in the eighth mile at 90 plus miles an hour and did that for a long time and haven't raced for a while now myself, but we're in the process of building a junior dragster for my granddaughter. She's looking to get into it. So maybe it'll be a little more affordable than me building a car for myself. I doubt it. I mean, I severely. Pretty soon we're going to have the stacker trailer. We've got a couple other grandkids, so we're going to need a stacker trailer and a toter home and all that probably, but uh, trying to keep it constrained right now. Yeah, I understand. I understand. So, well, uh, that that is always good stuff um, um, with the bracket racing and the juniors and all that stuff, but uh, let, let's really get into it now. Tell us a little bit about your work background. Uh, what do you do for a living and kind of what's your, your background that way? Sure. Until recently, I was a mechanical engineer in corporate America. The credit cards that you have in your wallet or purse, there's probably a 95% chance I was the guy that designed the mechanism or uh, was involved with the design of the mechanism and the type that created the embossed characters, like the account number and your name and stuff like that on there. Okay. Uh, we also did printing. We did a lot of ID card printing, uh, passports and stuff like that. So that was my, my corporate career for a long time which is now behind me. That's that's really interesting stuff. Uh, half the people that are listening are, are interested in that. Half the people are cursing your name right now for uh, <laughs> letting them have credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we get it from both sides, that's for sure. But. <laughs> uh, but So at some point you made the transition from uh, this this credit card mechanism to to designing an awning for the, a race trailer. Tell us about that and uh, when that happened and why that happened. Sure. It all started about 15, 16 years ago. A friend of mine back then saw my bracket car and he really liked it. And so he built himself a bracket car and pretty soon he built himself a nitrous car. And then pretty soon he had a blown alcohol motor in there and had the stacker trailer. And he went looking for an awning for it. And we looked at what was out there and I thought, you know, I can do something better than that. So we designed the very first connection method at the trailer that didn't have quick pins, cables, or straps. The downside it was downside is it was fairly expensive to manufacture, so people loved it, but it never really took off. We also designed the very first quick aligns for aligning the upper and lower frames together and putting the quick pin in there, and we also designed the very first uh, toggle lock mechanism for holding the outside tubes or front bars in uh, that connect frames across there. And since I was building it for a buddy of mine, you know, I didn't really think to patent anything, and it was for him. And pretty soon people were asking us, to, hey, how'd you do that so fast? So we started building awnings for other people and did that part-time for a, a long time. And a couple of years ago, I decided I've had enough of being in corporate America, and I want to do something I love. And so I started Ultimate Awning at that point and came out with some even better connection methods that we did patent this time. Okay, yeah, because people were really impressed with um, not only just the the quality, but how quickly people could put up your awnings. Is that right? That is correct. And we don't make your race car any faster, but we do save you time and make setting up and taking down your awning a lot faster than everything else out there. That That's huge, I think, um, especially, you know, not just if you've had a tough day at the track and you're ready to get out of there, um, or if you're, you know, running late like I am, uh, sometimes getting in and you got to get set up but but also then if the weather comes in quickly and sometimes we got to you know we'd want to try to save our stuff a little bit and take the awnings down and up and uh, saving time that way is a big deal exactly and like our motto you know when your time is valuable choose the ultimate awning there's only so much time in the day and there's only so many minutes at every event and if we can save you a half an hour an hour or more on the front end and the back end at an event uh, versus conventional awnings out there. That's more time you have for working on the car, enjoying yourself, getting on the road to get home earlier, sooner, uh, all sorts of stuff. So I, I know you've got patents and that and stuff. We don't want to get into all of that. But in general terms, how is it that you can save so much time, um, you know, with setup and takedown and still have a really high-quality awning? Like uh, just give me the, the dummy overview of that. Sure. On the trailer side, we got rid of the cables and the quick pins that people are used to having to use to install the tube into the trailer. So you can stand on the ground and with our cam lock connections, it's a cam groove interface and it just twists and locks into the brackets that are mounted on the side of the trailer. 
And then last year at PRI, we introduced our Ultilock frame connectors, which now gets rid of the toggle locks, the quick pins, the Velcro, sliding tubes together, all that. It's basically a, a push pin, a push pin release mechanism. So you actually just connect the tubes together. They snap right together. I don't like using snap because a lot of people think snaps are, are cheap. But when they're done right, they can be very, very solid uh, rigged mechanisms. And, th- and that's what we did for connecting the upper and lower tubes, as well as all the outside tubes that connect the frames across the front. So your typical stacker-type pro-style awning, there's not a single quick pin in the entire setup. There's not a single separate piece. There's not a single cable to have to pull. Everything just interlocks right together in a matter of minutes. Oh, that's that's amazing. So um, really, that, that does take a lot of speed and then... You know, you, you don't have to have the whole crew doing it, right? You just, you or one or two people can get that thing set up pretty quickly? Exactly. We, we have a customer recently that said they set it up in six, uh, six minutes with him, his 16-year-old daughter, and his 9-year-old son. Now, six minutes I think is pretty aggressive. I <laughs> typically tell people 10 to 15 minutes. Sure. It all depends on how fast you're working, how fast you're moving. Yeah. All right. But but let's call it ten to fifteen minutes with a sixteen-year-old girl and a nine-year-old boy. That that's Correct. that's pretty impressive, I think. Um, you know, um, if you if you don't have a, a whole crew helping you out as well. Exactly, and time time is valuable. You only have so much time at the racetrack, and so we worked really hard to develop our cam locks and our ulti-lock systems to make it as quick as possible to set up awning framework and even put the canopy on everything on our canopy and zipper attached to the trailer with bolt rope. Everything is zipper attached or quick release buckles along the perimeter. There's no quarter turns, no sliding the canopy all the way down the trailer. Uh, all that's gone. Everything on our product is geared for quality and quick, easy setup and teardown. That's, that's amazing really. And great stuff. Um, and I'm guessing that you can put any any sponsor you want on the awning. You can put your logos. You can logo it up however you want. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, we don't screen print anymore. Everything we do is all high-end digitally printed direct to fabric. Uh, there's an image of Brian Chin's car on our website that people can see, and that's the, the capability and graphics that we have. As long as you have the, the appropriate artwork, be it vector or high-resolution raster images, we can print it on the roof, on the end panels, the valance. We can even print on mesh end panels. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So you can you can put the logos wherever you want, and you can essentially design it however you want, correct? Correct. And, Whatever your imagination is, we can print it. Yeah, right. <laughs> don't uh, – I don't know if you want to actually get the word out of that. I mean, people might take that to the nth degree. Well, as long as they bring that credit card with them, we're okay with <laughs> that. Right. See, I've spent two and a half decades planning this so they have that credit card to bring with. That's genius, Miles. It's really genius. <laughs> um, well, so tell me like uh, a little bit in terms of a timeline because I know how all of us are. We we kind of, uh, you know, we're going along and all of a sudden we realize, hey, there's a race coming up. And really, I, I meant to do this a month ago, but I, I need it for a race coming up. What type of timeline are we talking in terms of like, from the first time that you uh, start talking to you from the time that you can take delivery or install the awning? And and that's a great question. And it's always a difficult one to answer. A lot of it depends on what our current schedule load is at the time, a typical race trailer stacker awning, even a lower height trailer rise above style. We like to have four to five weeks because that gives us some flexibility in our schedule. We've done them in as little as a week for people when the situation arises. So we do have that capability. We try not to do that if we don't have to, because it does wreak havoc on the rest of the schedule. But four to five weeks is a pretty typical lead time that we try to adhere to for a a typical awning. Now to get into a big hospitality, big road race, all sorts of graphics and stuff, uh, then you're easily looking at seven, eight weeks, pretty much any time of the year for that. Yeah. So uh, two months, folks. That's what that's what we're talking. Plan two months, and then you can have your uh, your uh, awning, and it'll be fantastic. Um, well, that's like 
that that's uh that's that's really good stuff um all right well talk to us a little bit about um what what your racing schedule is going to look like going forward you mentioned your granddaughter i think it was your granddaughter and uh junior is that right that is correct she's uh we've got the car we're putting the engine together for her now we were actually hoping to make it to the the midwest drag race series race in st louis last weekend and have her first uh outing in it but we haven't had the time to get the car finished up and get her comfortable and running and stuff like that. So I ended up going down to St. Louis anyways. Uh, had a great time down there. Got to see a lot of people. Got to see some great racing. Our current hope is to have the junior ready and get some test passes in uh, before the, the Midwest race, race down in Tulsa uh, later this year. But I'd say that's probably 50-50 at best right now. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, and is is uh, Brainerd your your local track? Is that correct? That is correct. That's the closest major track we have, about two hours north of us. Yeah, and I'm I'm not overly familiar with all the racetracks in in Minnesota. What else is close to you that you would quote unquote call your home track? We have an eighth mile track, about an hour and a half west of the Twin Cities, and then we have Rock. That's called Grove Creek. And then we have Rock Falls, which is about two hours east of us over in Wisconsin. Otherwise, we've got to go down into Iowa or more of the eastern side of Wisconsin. I'm um, yeah, eastern side of Wisconsin to get to tracks. So gotcha. we're hoping to get her out to Grove Creek or Brainerd here sometime towards the end of next month. Get her comfortable in there, and hopefully have everything ready to go and roll down to Tulsa later this year. I love been a, it. Been an interesting year for racing all over the place with the stuff going on in the world and the virus, but. Uh, business has still been good. We've been brisk. People see what we have. You know, they they set up their product, and everyone around them comes around asking how they did it so quick. And word is spreading on what we have. So it's been been a good year for us so far. Yeah, that that's fantastic. Um, I I appreciate you coming on with us today and you know, just telling us a little bit about an innovation that you know we don't really think about um, having innovation in, but is really vital to everybody's program. So uh, thanks for doing that. If, if we have listeners that want to, um, you know, just learn more about uh, you and ultimate awning, what's the best way for them to, to find you? A couple of different ways. They can reach me directly at 612-816-9644. They can go to our website, ultimateawning.com. They can also see us on Facebook at Ultimate Ani. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, Miles, appreciate you coming on. Um, really uh, appreciate your time here today, and thanks for all that you do for all of us in the racing world. Um, and uh, good luck to you the rest of the, the year, and, and good luck to your uh, granddaughter and her junior series moving forward as well. Thank you, Rex. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on and letting me talk about our product and Hope it helps some of your your listeners out as they see what we have. It's not the glamorous part of racing, but we're trying to make that non-glamorous part a little bit easier and quicker for everybody and less painful. I love it. Yeah, I do do love it. Yeah, guys, girls, that was Miles Kuhlmeister from Ultimate Awning, if you need him. All right, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane. Let's do it. Let's take the stripe. I like it. There it is, guys, girls. That is the show. It's time to pull the shoots on episode number 53. And there it is, the wind light and Gloria. We love it. It's so good. Guys, girls, we had a great week this week. First of all, we got back at it. Talk some racing. That's always good. Second of all, we had no Roadster talk, so that's always good. We spoke with Benjamin Board. He's a top sportsman standout from the land of D3. We talked to Miles Kuhlmeister, owner of Ultimate Awning, all the innovations he does on that side. Uh, But uh, next week, we're actually going to discuss the upcoming U.S. Nationals. We're going to talk a little bit about the live show I'm trying to nail down as well. So if you've got thoughts or interest in the live show, please let me know. I also understand that the U.S. Nationals is a somewhat shortened schedule. We'll get into that and talk plenty of other top dragster and top sportsman racing news next week. I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe.
Did I hear you right? We're getting a live show maybe again this we're, year? We're working on it, baby. We are working on it. Um, yeah, we got to get the schedule right. Last year we had lots of interest, and then the schedule kind of messed with us. So more details next week. But, uh, yeah, the live show for the U.S. Nationals is highly anticipated. Some uh, hazard pay in there? <laughs> for you, big fella? Of course. <laughs> <laughs>